What if you could create something new? Something that you've always dreamed of? Something that represents all of who you are and all of what you bring to the world? And that through that process, it would change you, change your community, build connections to understand, relate, and heal. In this podcast, I follow people on their creative journeys with interviews that span their entire process. In a single episode, we get to know them and what it takes to launch their project. Dreamcasters, bring your creativity to life. In this episode, I followed James Greb, electronic music artist, through about five months of a creative project that he undertook, um, which you'll learn more about. And just a quick background on James. Um, here's his bio from his website. Pretty awesome. Um, as a music producer and DJ from Denver, James spent seven years perfecting live mixes in the genres of electro and bass house before diving into music production. His releases have been supported by industry experts such as Pasquale Rotella, Danny Avila, Trap Nation, Tomo Hirata, and Club Bandits. With recent performances at Global Dance Festival, Supernatural Festival, Beta Nightclub, and The Church, James continues to expand the boundaries of his own take on the future of electronic music. I'm also just on James Greb's Spotify right now, and he has almost 2,000 monthly listeners, and he's got a number of tracks that he's released. Um, Two of them you'll hear about in the episode today that he worked on and completed throughout the course of our interviews. Static Memory, as of, uh, let's see, what is today, June 22nd, 2021, that I'm actually uh, editing this episode, um, has 58,991 streams. And then uh, Orbit has 37,877 streams. A track called Contrast, 126,803 streams. Um, And as you'll hear, he's collaborated with so many people. And um, I mean, James is young uh, in the industry. He's in his, as you'll hear, he's in his early 20s. But he is, you know, working on a very high level. And he's he's really well known within the EDM scene. So, um, so yeah, he's the real deal. And uh, it's been very exciting to share this journey with him. In this first interview that took place on August 20th, 2020, I just asked James to introduce himself. And then uh, we'll listen to a little bit of his music and... And then he'll talk about the specifics of the project that we're going to follow him on in this episode. Okay, so for our listener out there who doesn't know you yet, uh, tell us about yourself, James. I'm James Greb. I've been an electronic producer slash music maker for, I'd say, seven or eight years now. Um, I've been making a lot of different things uh, in my past. I mean, I started off uh, strictly just making DJ mixes and working on that side of the electronic music industry. But then I kind of pivoted everything towards producing exclusively for myself, for other clients, uh, but just getting into the production world as a whole. Um, when I first started out, everything was so new to me. It was so exciting and I had no idea where to begin. So I, I got into everything. I got into people who were in the progressive house world in what's called the electro house world. Uh, recently, the bass house world has been really exciting for me, but I, I see it as all just kind of one thing that is under a huge umbrella of what people call EDM or electronic music. It's all just really good danceable music. I, I try not to get too stuck on genres or figuring out specifically what I'm doing or what I'm making, but I just see myself as, as someone who is involved in EDM or involved in electronic music as a whole. So cool. 
Just before I ask you about what project we're going to be following you on through Dreamcasters, I wanted to share out a little bit of your music with our audience. So this is James's track, Static Memory. Amazing. So yeah, James, tell us a little bit about the project that uh, we're going to be following you on through Dreamcasters. Yeah, the project that I, I would really like to focus on would be from now until the end of 2020. I want to kind of have a shift in mentality. I've always had this this struggle within myself, a creative struggle where I will produce less music because I'm trying to be a perfectionist. I would say if I didn't have that mindset, I would be producing more in terms of quality music. So really the goal is to shift my mentality and say, I want to create seven to 10 pieces of music up until December, 2020, as opposed to trying to finish one track in a period of two or three months and trying to perfect it. I would rather have a lot of different ideas going uh, at the same time. And then from there on out discovering you know, when is the best time to release this and how am I going to, to approach this release specifically? Um, so the goal for me is seven to 10 songs by the end of 2020. Yeah. Very strategic. Very, uh, very cool. And especially with the new year too, you know, it's like you kind of have this perch, you know, on the new year, um, with all of this material, this, so it's almost like it's in your back pocket, you know what I mean? And it's like, you're ready to like dive into the new year. So tell us a little bit more about you, you know, and just what, uh, what element of your, you know, humanity brings you to this project and do you want to kind of bring out through your project? I'm 22 and I've been doing this pretty much since early middle school. Uh, it's been a long time. I, I got into the whole rave scene really early when my cousin showed me a Dead Mouse album. I, I was totally lost in the sphere of something I had never experienced before. And from there, I mean, from there on, I, I went to shows. I would go to the all ages shows at like Red Rocks or whatever venue would let me in at, you know, 14, 15. And it was just an incredible time of really defining exactly the sound that I was looking for and what I was trying to emulate. I mean, my personality has always been trying to, to focus on bringing worlds together. Uh, different worlds. I, I do that a lot with different cultures. I mean, I, I come from a multicultural family where my mom's from Peru, my dad's from here. Uh, so it, it was kind of from birth where I was trying to blend worlds together and say, well, how can I have the best of Peruvian culture and of American culture and get to live the best of those both worlds? So I always thought, let's just take the best elements from a lot of different areas. And I shouldn't even say that I'm only taking, you know, inspiration from electronic music. It's also stuff like jazz, uh, Latin music or flamenco music. And 
and stuff like even, you know, some old rap records that I, I listen to and I, I experience and I feel that emotion and I say, I want to bring that emotion to life. Then that's so cool. The way that intersects with your cultural background, you know, and, and the way that you see um, the coming together or the connection, you know, of, of sort of the best of those things. You know, uh, if it's okay, I wanted to maybe even just bring in a little bit of the cultural side and bring in your family background. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't regret it for a second. It's a very, very interesting upbringing where you have so many different uh, concepts and, and kind of cultural things that are being thrown at you as a little kid that I feel like if you didn't experience both worlds, it's kind of bland. I mean, I love being able to have the side of, you know, proving culture is all about family. It's all about, maybe that's where I get the connection thing. Um, but proving culture is very much focused on family and friends and, and being with people that, that matter to you. So every time you're spending, uh, you know, some time in Peru, you're going to have a lunch or a dinner with 20, 25 people. And that's just a common occurrence. It's not like a special event. It's not anyone's birthday. It's no one got a promotion. It's just we're having dinner together, you know, as a, a huge group. So I, I, I had that kind of experience as a young kid and I loved it. Uh, with the American background, you get a lot of different ideals and values. My, my hard work mentality, um, kind of my diligence with it and my perseverance, I think that is very much an American ideal where it, it kind of is like the American dream. I mean, of course, I'm not at all a first generation immigrant, but my mom was. And, you know, she had a dream of coming to America and creating something for her family and being able to help her family from here. You know, she's still... Uh, is very much connected with her Peruvian family, but she's created a life in America that's completely uh, unique to what she would have experienced if she had just stayed. But this whole concept of the American dream, I still, I still feel like it resonates, especially to me, because it's the whole idea that I would not be here at all if my mom did not decide to go to America and then eventually meet my dad. So it's kind of an extension of that. If I do pursue this music thing and I do continue to find success from it, it's, it's all thanks to her. I have some fans in like Mexico City, in Peru, um, Brazil. I mean, it's Brazil's Portuguese, but um, I, I have different, you know, fans in Latin America or different areas of the world where they speak Spanish. And to be able to, to just transition from, hey, thanks, man, to, oh, muchas gracias. Agradezco todo que, you know, just to translate everything. They, they kind of feel, I feel like they feel a more personal connection. Yeah, that is really cool to hear those uh, multicultural aspects and particularly the the difference in some of the core values, you know, but the way that they go together so well. And I'm curious how you see yourself influencing and inspiring the industry as you go through your career. I mean, there comes a point where the people and the music that you really hold on to will disappear. But the brilliance of life is the fact that there will always be someone new. You, you will lose one great artist and one great producer, but then the 17-year-old kid will come out of nowhere and, and make something you've never heard. So it's, it's a cycle. And within this and within myself, I've always said, all I want to do is be in this industry long enough where I can start to influence other people to keep that cycle going. Yeah, that's a really cool thought. I, I really love that. You know, it's just that idea of the cyclical nature of it. And then, you know, I heard elements of connectivity um, and how important that is to you and your music. I heard elements of your culture, you know, and how that connectivity is so much a part of the Peruvian culture, but then how you also use that word connection between American and Peruvian cultures. And also this like very 
sweet sentiment, you know, of like being able to to sort of foster in the next generation as well, ultimately, um, and sort of that that cyclical nature of the industry. And what are your goals over the next month or so before we check in again next? I think within a month, as long as I have completely set myself up for success here, I think I can get, you know, two to three songs completed uh, and, and hopefully really different ideas put on, you know, put on paper, put on my computer uh, and be able to share kind of insights that I've learned through that process. Um, so I think probably a month from now. Yeah, that sounds great. And those sound like great goals. Yeah. Um, is there anything, any support you need, anything, um, you know, that can be just to aid that process along the way over the next month? I, I thank, I thank you and, and this podcast for giving me the opportunity to have a goal set in stone, as opposed to saying, I'll just, you know, I'll create when I feel creative and I'll do whatever. This is really, you know, this is bringing me the energy to try out different things and, and really have something to present. This second interview picks up about a month later on September 29th, 2020. What's new with you, my friend? Uh, still, uh, still working on a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wanted to focus on production. So I have been doing so. I've, I've started, uh, started or finished about three songs uh, since we last talked. So we're, we're making progress. And it's been a, a whole journey with that as well. Uh, this, this whole mindset, this, this whole adaptation mindset that I've had is instead of saying, you know, I'm bummed out that, that regular shows and regular uh, venues are, are struggling right now. Mm-hmm. Instead of focusing on that, I'm saying, well, I can still put in my time and my effort into the studio. I, I'm trying to kind of have a, simu- a similar mindset with that, where I'm saying, well, where can I be, you know, January and February and March? Yeah. In terms of in terms of my brand, in terms of the songs I'm releasing, and in terms of making the uh, the best use of my time with what right. we've got going on, I I would be lying if I said it didn't worry me because it, it it it's sad to hear about venues closing around the country and it's sad to hear about DJs uh, having to find a way to to kind of keep their brand going, keep their image going because it's hard, but. Like yeah. I said, the people who are doing it right are the people who are are being creative and trying trying entirely uh, different things. Yeah. I've been doing as of late. I do mixing and mastering work as well mm-hmm. uh, for my own work for others. And in the last month and a half, I've seen a boom in terms of demand. And I do think, I mean, even now as as we're recording this, there's still a lot of different uh, strange, albeit opportunities to play. Mm-hmm. it's not going to be at all. It's not even a hundredth of what it used to be like. I yeah. mean, the maximum capacity at some of these events, it's 50 or sometimes it's 30 people. Yeah. So it's more so about giving those 30 to 50 people an experience they won't forget. And I love the perseverance. Right. I love that, that people are, are finding new ways to keep the, especially the rave scene going in a safe way. Yeah, that's inspiring to hear um, and to kind of get an update, you know, particularly on the EDI industry. EDM, yep. I'm just going to leave that in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. I don't know why I've I said EDI. It. What? Are, oh, equity, diversity, and inclusion. I'm on an equity, diversity, and inclusion committee, and I'm, that's like stuck in my head. What, uh, what do you want to troubleshoot today? Yeah, I've, I've experienced this firsthand where... 
I will be so into one song that I've put months into or sometimes even years and I will put it out there. I'll have a release planned or work with a label mm -hmm. and it'll kind of fall flat compared to some songs that I wrote within a week and a half and didn't really think about. So now it's more so about being creative. Uh, experimentation is, is huge for me right now as well. Mm -hmm. um, and trying out different things and saying, well, I'm going to make five to six to seven songs and maybe only two of them will, you know, get on serious radio. And sure. it's like, or maybe one or none. So it's, it's not about a, a setting huge lofty goals. It's about just being, you know, excited for the achievements that some songs do get. Yeah, absolutely. What you're saying too reminds me of, I was reading the book, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And it's basically her talking about the creative process. And one of the things that comes up in that book is that she is talking about how the most joy that she gets uh, from the creative process is just literally during the creative process. You know what I mean? It's like when she, when a, when a great idea is there, when the energy is flowing, you know what I mean? She's in the flow state um, of whatever that project may be. So I, I wanted to bring that around to you. Where in that whole creative process do you feel the most alive? Wow. Very good question. There are multiple moments during the whole cycle where I, I notice that I feel the most energized about an idea or a project. Definitely for me, it's, it's those late nights, you know, after an idea has been created where it's like two or three in the morning and I just can't stop. Um, I can't put it down because I'm, I'm addicted to, well, what's next and what can we do with this? And so that's an amazing time. Um, but I have to say, it's also incredible. <laughs> We're talking so much about outcomes, but it's also incredible after uh, a song actually comes out. It's like, I, I haven't, I, I've only shown the song to like five or 10 people for the last year. And now finally, you know, thousands, potentially tens of thousands of people get to hear it and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, that's an incredible feeling. That is the greatest feeling ever is seeing it finally pop up on Spotify wow. uh, after what at that point is months and months of hard work and, and dedication yeah. to that one project. Sure. Um, yeah. And, and there's nothing like, you know, hearing people's reactions, especially online, like getting a DM on Instagram from anybody, especially, yeah. you know, in, in faraway places, like I'll, I'll sometimes get DMs from, uh, people who are living in Asia, people who are living in Australia, yeah. uh, people who are living in parts of South America. And it's, it's just unreal to me that it's a click of a button and we're all over the world. And yeah. it's, it's a very, uh, it's a very mystical experience in that way. What a cycle um, is, is my reflection on that too. You know I mean? Yeah. Like, and just that that's over multiple months, you know what I mean? And that it's this thing from seed concept to something that's, like you're mentioning with a click of a button distributed all over the world, you know what I mean? And that somebody literally yeah. thousands of miles away is suddenly hearing this thing that you've put months of effort into and is it's affecting their life that day in some way. Well, what's coming up for you uh, next couple of weeks? What's on your radar for uh, any more shows or any more recordings that you're working on? Yeah. Um, lots of good stuff. I'm doing another show at Larimer Lounge. This one's a bigger one and we're bringing out a, uh, French, he's originally French, but he's living in, in Vegas, I think now, um, DJ, and he's, he's going to headline and I get to open for him. So it's going to be an amazing experience to be able to play for him and to finally have what is kind of like a normal club night. I mean, it's like you have a headliner, you have two support acts 
and you get to experience that again in, in a different setting where maybe it's more enjoyable yeah. um in terms of music i i will have a release within next month and a half maybe two months so november december uh that one's going to be big i'm excited to continue doing more uh producing yeah. more records that will be out in the future and and working with more people to put on safe shows here at the end of the second interview I wanted to take a moment to share a little bit more of James's music. And he actually sent me a couple of the earlier drafts of Static Memory. So you all heard the first half of Static Memory at the beginning of this episode. And so these will be like some of the drafts that led up to that. And then it'll also lead into we're going to hear the second half of Static Memory after this next interview. So um, enjoy. This is some of James's work kind of drafting behind the scenes. Here's the first draft of Static Memory. Now you'll hear some of the evolution and the adding. He adds a vocal at this point. And so here's the second draft of Static Memory. We connected again about a month later on October 30th, 2020, and this segment, we had a little bit less strong internet connection, so James's mic doesn't come through quite as well, uh, but it's just about seven minutes of the episode, and then we regain regain good internet connection beyond that, so. Well, and how is your bigger project overall feeling? Uh, so far, I've uh, started the fourth song of this series, and I'm getting ready eventually to get to the fifth song. Um, a couple of those are actually remixes. So I, I got a couple opportunities to do uh, some remixes for some people. And I'm excited because it's a whole different kind of take with the whole production process. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to, you know, me creating all the ideas from scratch, it's someone else who, I mean, I can't name any names, but these two people are really good with uh, their musicality and their composition and, and their sound. I mean, everything about them is really impressive. So it's, it's always great to be able to um, have an opportunity to try something out. And so it's, it's really, uh, it's kind of like a studying session for me to open up a project and see uh, how they uh, use the same program or the same tools that I do to achieve different results. That's cool. I mean, that's cool that that's kind of a new avenue that's opened up. I'm just pulling on what you said about studying and how it's almost a study session for you. Um, you know, if you had to distill it down to three takeaways, would that be a, an answerable question, I guess, you know, from that standpoint of some things you're learning. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not only for my own remixes, but I've learned that personally, I believe the best remixes that exist out there are ones that are in different genres, but are similar enough or share some similarities where you can kind of flip it on its head and do something totally different with it. I really enjoy totally messing around with the uh, 
samples provided and using them in different ways. So instead of using the base notes during the drop like they should be used, I'll maybe sample them in and, and put them into like a sampler and make it this beautiful piano melody. So instead of using things the way they were intended to use, I think the best remixes, uh, I mean, they, they literally do that. They remix what is already provided into something that kind of surprises people. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it reminds me too of orchestral arranging. A composer will take a theme and start it out in one range with one set of instruments and then later on in the song develop that theme in another instrument set. Yeah, yeah. And, and there are a lot of similarities with, with orchestral composition that most people don't really realize. I mean, when it comes to being an EDM producer, it's, it's really just an electronic version of an orchestra. Hmm. And it's kind of controversial to say, but I think the best electronic musicians are modern day composers in, in terms of uh, what they're doing with their productions. Because you've got projects that are hundreds of channels uh, deep. So there are hundreds of channels into this project and all 100 layers blend together seamlessly to sound like six. That's really cool to dive a little bit into the art uh, itself and to understand a little bit of what you do um, in that sense as well. So how are you feeling overall with Project Arc and where are you at now and what are some of the things that are on your radar? Well, I would be lying if I said I, I haven't slowed down a little bit just because of everything mm -hmm. that's going on with the shows and, and trying to figure that out. Yeah. But I'm still hanging in there. I'm still on track. Um, it's almost impossible for me not to be listening to hours of music and trying to find what I like about that and what I really want to emulate. I, I love the the feeling of it's kind of like the digital version of what what used to be called crate digging and looking through these these digital playlists to find like these hidden gems of, of tracks that sometimes very few people have heard of, sometimes that are are still too new and haven't really picked up the hype that it's eventually going to get. But the feeling of finding a new sound that really surprises me is so unique, and so I've been doing that a lot. Well, and I'm hearing so much of this joy, really, that you're expressing in immersion in what you're doing and in learning. And I love your comparison to crate diving because there just seems to be like this this hue of beautiful nostalgia around it where it's just, you know, this, this nerding out in the best way. Absolutely. And I, I always tell people who... You know, sometimes I'll get messages in, in my DMs and it's people who are just starting out. It's like their first yeah. three months ever producing. And they say, do you have any advice for me? Yeah. And my number one thing I tell them is if, you've, if you're trying to emulate something that is already huge and popular, it's too late to really make an impact in that scene. I've always believed that. So yeah. it, it's about being an early investor into a different sound. And the people who really make it in that next sound, the people who are already uh, kind of at the forefront of that genre have yeah. been doing it for two years prior when no one else was listening. Yeah, yeah, that's very well spoken. How do you know when a track of yours is complete and ready for release? This is kind of a side tangent, but I'm big into meditation. And meditation teaches us that, you know, nothing is ever going to be perfect and you will always have these wandering thoughts that are, are bothering you about this stuff but you just kind of learn to uh see it and let it go and it's the same process with my music like i know that it's not going to be a hundred percent complete or it's never going to feel a hundred percent complete but i know that my standards are much higher than the average consumer 
Is that a double-edged sword for you in terms of those expectations? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it's, it's challenging because I do set very, very high expectations for myself just because the people that I look up to are, are so, I feel as though they're technically complex and they're very, very good technically. But at the same time, I have to remind myself sometimes, you know, it's good enough. And, and whatever you did was, was a cool idea by itself. And it's something that people will enjoy. Like if I didn't uh, stop and, and take a step back, there are, probably would be so many records I would never release. That's great reflection. I mean, it sounds like you hold that in nice balance with, and it was really interesting to hear the wording that you used because it's like, it is a double-edged sword and yet you're using the double-edged sword. That's just, I think that's so true to the creative process, probably for a lot of people, or maybe it's just inherent in the creative process where, where there is this desire to reach some idyllic version of whatever we're creating. And that can be an endless process. And I think that probably does hold a lot of people back from just putting something out. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I wanted to add, I don't think it ever ends because I've, I've had the opportunity, I've had the opportunity to talk to some, you know, bigger DJs and bigger producers in my career. And what I keep hearing is the reflection of, well, I still wanted to do more with that track. I think it's just a, a condition of, of being human. Our fourth interview continues a little over a month later again on December 10th, 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> today we have the James Grab. Thank you for having me. Glad to be back. <laughs> I'm trying a new intro, James. How do you, how do you like it? <laughs> it's good. I dig it. Um, how are you? I'm good. I'm uh, just hanging in there. Uh, still, as we've been talking about endlessly during our, uh, our time here, trying to find new ways to innovate, trying to find new ways to bounce back and forth and you know, meet all required regulations, shift with the industry and see where everything's going and, and try to stay as productive as I can be. What are, uh, what's new between now and last time? Well, we did go ahead and uh, play, well, I played the show and we had it all socially distanced. Um, what was crazy about it was it was just perfect timing. I mean, I'm grateful that we had it on exactly that night because the morning after, I believe, was when the Denver curfew hit and they said nothing, nothing can happen after 10 p.m. You can't have any events. I think two or three weeks after the show was when the indoor dining thing got closed, thus closing the venue itself because it's, it's operating within that uh, kind of sphere of, of uh, classification. So it was just an extremely lucky uh, time to be playing that show. We managed to sell it out, which was amazing. Congratulations. And thank you. It was, uh, it was so much fun. And what was the experience like in the venue? I mean, what is it like to play to uh, whatever it is, a uh, third capacity or, or fourth capacity? It, it, was, it felt more meaningful because it was like I could see literally everyone in the room and like I could have more of a connection with the crowd than ever before. Um, and they were loving it because obviously this was one of the first shows that they could go to in, in uh, the past six or seven or eight months. So it, it was such a cool atmosphere. 
to be able to play and to make sure that everybody was safe um, and kind of to, to set a new, to, to set a new kind of destination for what my journey is and what I, I define my, uh, what I define my brand as and, and my sound as, because I've, I've never really done a headlining show like that before. So to be able to say, this is the vibe that we're setting and to set the track list entirely, how I feel, you know, how I feel, I, I, I see it in my head. Uh, I played a lot of unreleased music and to be able to do that as well is an incredible uh, feeling. Yeah. And what is the plan now that venues are closed down again? Where are you at with that? So I am shifting a little bit back more into just 100% in the studio, not even thinking about getting support slots or or shows uh, going on the roster because I'm, I'm worried that even if I get something set up for a month from now, by the time we reach that date, it could be canceled because of X, Y, or Z. So it feels a little bit like, you know, what we were going through earlier where I have to figure out what else there is to do with my brand, with my uh, like social media presence, with my marketing, with my music and and figuring out release dates um, and not only focusing on when the next show will be. Yeah, absolutely. And where are you with your songs and how are those releases going? Yeah, they've uh, made significant progress. I just started up the seventh song. So we're basically on track. I mean, I think I can maybe knock out one or two more uh, before you know the, the year ends. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going well. It's been a journey in itself. I've probably said that before. But to figure out how to cure the writer's block how to look past the imperfections and, and to just say, you know, experimental isn't a bad thing to, to have a song that is taking a different direction, especially genre wise is actually kind of a positive. And I've learned that more so now than ever um, with a few of the tracks. I mean, I'm getting ready to release a couple or I'm sorry, I did release one of them a week ago called static memory. That was a part of the project. So I'm going to pause our interview right there for a second because this would be a great spot to share with you the second half of Static Memory that you heard at the beginning of the episode and then you heard some of the draft versions. So here's what James was just mentioning that he had just released recently uh, at this point in our December interview. Okay, so now back to our December interview. And then undetermined release date for the next one, but that's scheduled in maybe in a month or so. And yeah, it's just moving along. I'm excited for the first time that I have more of a body of work that I can play around with, as opposed to always cutting it to the end of of whatever month I'm in and saying, okay, we need to have something ready to produce and to be out there and to market and whatever. Uh, It feels good having some cushion, having some room to say, well, I've got three or four songs that we can pick from and we can send out to labels and, um, and, and 
also it's one of the first times where I've really sat down with the idea of pure experimentation before when I didn't really have a set guideline, it was more so like, well, I know what I want to make and I know it's got to be similar to something I've done in the past. But with this in an effort to just create anything to kind of meet my own deadline, it's more, it's coming more so of a place of uh, fun, creativity. And I didn't know that would happen. It's, it's so interesting that when you, when you say to yourself, I have to have seven to eight to nine songs done in a certain time period, you kind of break down those, uh, those boundaries for yourself and you try different things. And, and that has been super helpful for my production techniques. Where do you get your inspiration, especially at a time like this? It's, it's such a weird thing because I, I always, I have always drawn inspiration from so many different places where, I mean, since the beginning of me making music, it's never been just like one source of, oh, I, I heard this one song and it, it made me curious about what sound they were using or, or what technique. It also comes from spending time in, in life, being outside, being, you know, which is rare right now, but being outside in the world and experiencing it. But I've also gotten inspiration now through this time period, um, through a lot of, I don't know what you would call it, but it feels to me like a digital connection. Does that make sense? Where yeah. because, you know, because being locked inside, you can't really meet producers. Uh, you typically can't meet producers in, in uh, other places, and it's very hard to connect with, with those people. I've been trying to collaborate more, reaching out to people online, uh, especially people I admire, and making those digital connections where, um, like one of the songs in the project, I'm actually working with a guy from Norway. And that totally came from, uh, I think it was just Spotify recommending me his music. I became obsessed with it. And I said, let's start something up. And it all, it all happened from, you know, one or two DMs. And the idea that he has brought so much to the table, because when you, obviously when you're working on a collaboration, people think differently, uh, especially differently to what you're used to. So he would give me ideas like, no, let's, let's rearrange the break this way, or let's try a different key, or let's try, uh, you know, doing more percussive stuff in the drop instead of just bass sounds, uh, all stuff that I never would have originally done with that track. How does a collaboration like that work in detail? I mean, is that like you're passing a production back and forth and each person gets a little time on it or is it kind of housed in one person's DAW? It, it really relies on the backbone of some kind of system. Uh, a lot of producers, myself included, like Splice, which is everyone knows is for samples, but you can actually do studio collaborations on there as well where you finish a version of the project and then you upload it through their system and then someone else can listen to all the layers literally through their browser and give you a quick feedback comment on whatever, uh, and then download the project file itself because otherwise it just stays on your computer forever and it never gets released. But I, I've been fortunate enough to work with people who they really know technically what they're looking for and they're really good at giving feedback. So they say, no, we're going to rework this and we're going to do it this week. And if you're not interested, then I'm going to force you to do it because I know this track has potential. And I say the same thing to them. And, and it's just a, a two-way street of uh, holding each other accountable, making sure that we're both meeting our own deadlines. That's awesome. Well, before we end this interview, could you just give us a reflection on your project as a whole at this point? Overall, looking back at it and looking back at the beginning of this whole project that I set up for myself, I, I had no idea where it would go. 
And that's typically how this music thing is. You just, you start something and it's very, very open-ended and you, you kind of fill out the, or you fill in the blanks as you go. But so far it's been really good. And I, I would definitely recommend this to any producer that if you feel uh, a sense of writer's block or a sense of creator or creative, uh, creative uh, stoppage with your, your project and your brand, just try anything. Set, set your own goal to do you know, a seven to nine track EP or album or just singles like I'm doing and just go for it because that way you will, once you've done that for yourself, you kind of, at least for me, the perfectionist in me kind of goes away because it's like, it doesn't matter. We're just getting track number three done and then track number four and, and you just yeah, continue with that. Um, but I'm excited to see what the last few tracks will be like to finally put them together and to have them stockpiled and, and figure out when they will be released and, and to work with my team to, to do so. Um, so yeah, it's been great so far. For this last interview, we connected on January 19th, 2021. And a few minutes into this interview, we'll hear another one of the tracks that James completed during the course of this project that we're following him on called Orbit. And how are your holidays? Uh, good. Yeah, it was good to obviously spend some time, some necessary time away uh, during Christmas and New Year's from everything. Um, yeah. But uh, it was nice to to be able to reflect, especially. I mean, like New Year's, I was thinking back and I can't even remember when we started this. How many months has it been? Well, actually, I can tell you. I have all of your sessions um, right here in a file. So let me just see. Okay, so our first one was August 25th. Oh, that's crazy. So yeah, yeah, it makes sense. All of September, October, November, December. So we're like basically into our fifth month of following you on your journey here. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's knowing that and, and having that information, it's it's cool to be able to see, um, especially with like the way the, the projects progressed and thinking about what they were, especially like September and, and uh, August, they were nowhere near what they're at now. And having them done is crazy. So you're done. Yes. Oh, I mean, I, I would like to phrase it this way. I did yeah. finish the seven songs that I was looking to get done that were yeah. my own original productions. Okay. But what I didn't anticipate was how much extra work that just kind of fell into uh, my lap in terms of like mixing, uh, mixing work, uh, mastering work, uh, just some like collaborative ideas. Mm -hmm. So in total, I would say in this time span, I've done, I've worked on probably 12 or 13 projects but only seven of those are originals of mine uh and then the latter were projects that i helped on whether it be mixing or mastering um so it's it's been wild to think about it in that time frame of uh if i really sit down and focus and really get better organizing myself i can be this productive all the time i mean ideally <laughs> but sure. it's uh it, it kind of uh, formulated because I, I sat down, like I mentioned, and I thought about scheduling for the first time seriously. Before it was, you know, I'll, I'll work on something when I feel uh, more creative or, or when a, a certain idea comes to me. But with this project, I was forced to think about well, what are seven concrete ideas that I can, you know, start and, and finish. Well, did you kind of already have those blueprints in your mind from the get-go? And then it's that they just ended up when you sat down to compose them ended up different or what was the deal there a perfect example and i can talk about this because it's already released at this point is my song static memory which was a mm -hmm. part of this project 
Yeah. And I remember uh, this was like two or three weeks before the show. I thought it was done. Uh, I'm talking about the show I did in October Mm -hmm. uh, where I opened up for this guy named Dusty Cloud. Mm -hmm. I thought it was done and I liked it, but I kept listening to it. And I thought the baseline is just like too, too, in my opinion, it was too simple, like too boring. So I wanted to spice it up. So from that, I, I had what I thought was the finished product. And I totally went in the project and I said, no, let's change up the baseline. Let's change up the bass melody. Let's uh, change up the mix a little bit. And I finished it for the show, a different version for that, um, for that show specifically. And then after the show, I said, it's almost there, but it's slightly, it just feels slightly off. So let's change it even further to, to give it a different kind of groove. So I, I did that and I went in a third time. And then at that point, I sent it off to get mastered. And that was the final product. Yeah, it's cool to hear you reflect on that. And, and, and yeah, just the detail with which when you're immersed as deeply as you are in each creation, each song, that it really, uh, you get that, that intimately familiar with all of the different layers. I'm just curious, like what, uh, what the big picture on these seven songs is like, have you released all of them? You know, do you you have a few backed up so that you're ready to release them as this year goes on? What's your plan with these seven songs that you've made? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I did mention Static Memory, which as of this recording came out. Um, I have another song that is uh, about to be released called Orbit, which is a part of this project as well. And that's out February 5th. Here's a little bit of Orbit right now. Now back to the interview again. Ultimately, these these are small details with what the final version of the song is, when I release it, how I decide to release it. It's just a matter of it gets released eventually. I I plan to definitely release some of them, uh, maybe even the majority of them in 2021, but maybe holding off a little bit initially to kind of figure out what's going on with with the ever-changing industry at the moment. And I, I've always thought. I mean, my whole motto with, with releasing music, especially digitally, is I would rather have quality over quantity. Yeah. Uh, even if I only have a year, and I have had years where I only released four singles, it's because I, I made the deliberate choice to put so much into that uh, you know, release schedule mm-hmm. where every release gets the appropriate marketing, gets like killer artwork, and I work with really good designers and really good video animators. And um, I, I would rather do that than say, I'm releasing a song every month, you know, 12 songs a year, and then having every release kind of flop because I don't allocate the right uh, attention to each release. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a choice of, like you said, finding balance and, and deciding well, what's a happy medium where I know I can properly 
uh, deal with each release individually, as opposed to thinking about it, you know, in a year long scale. Yeah. Yeah. You know, along those lines of releases and um, the parameters of your project were purely creative. And so I don't want to put too much emphasis on this point, but it's just from a curiosity standpoint, I think in service to other creators, you know, um, is, uh, yeah. How did these projects do for you this year in particular, obviously a very weird year for the industry uh, in terms of your releases and measurements of success around those releases? So we, we're doing uh, another one. So we've got yeah. two in totally two scheduled, but I mean, yeah. there's a potential for three or four within the next few months. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ones that have been released slash are about to be released, they've been great. I mean, Static Memory was like my first really big record to get um, a lot of DJ support. I mean, internationally, it was pretty big. Wow. We did, uh, I mean, we did a huge campaign. I, I reached out to so many different people. Um, but we got like two people in Mexico City who played it. In, in terms of the planning for it, I said, I could hold off on this one and just start fresh and say, I only want things in 2021, especially from this project to be released. Mm-hmm. But I decided I do want to fit one more song in in 2020 to kind of close that off and, and show show a different uh, style that I'm trying to go for, especially for the upcoming year. Mm-hmm. So in terms of like Spotify, it was amazing to see. I mean, like the top countries that we had, uh, at least as of recording, it was Spain, Mexico, the US, Brazil, Italy, Argentina, Chile, Germany, Colombia, Australia, India. And that's just the top 10 or 11. Yeah. But it was insane for the first time to get as international uh, as this song has, has become. Because usually I, I do get some support in Europe. I do get some support in Latin America. But it kind of all came together. Where it was for the first time. Let me double check. Yeah, for the first time, like Spain, Mexico, uh, they, they had more streams in those countries than America did. But that's insane to think about you know, growing my audience exponentially, growing in a different area. Um, and it's, I mean, part of it is, is thanks to a platform like Spotify to be able to uh, make the, the music so accessible and, and relatively cheap. Um, it's, it's a great tool. And I think for a lot of different artists, this is only going to get better. So we, we had a support with uh, this guy named Casa Remix Off in the Ukraine. We had support in Mexico City. I'm sorry, Mexico as a country with D-Sides and, and Daniel Etienne. Then we had support in Russia with Chester Young. Then we had support in, I believe, Hungary with MRGN. I don't know how to pronounce his DJ name, but that was just a small subset of like wow. you know, stuff that happened with the track. We had a lot of press coverage. We had a, an article in an interview that I just did with uh, South Africa uh, with a, a group called UFO uh, Records. Mm-hmm. And they were great to work with. And we also did one with, uh, I believe it's this magazine, digital magazine in Canada for the release. But with Orbit, uh, which is the song that's coming up February 5th, we've got a lot planned for that too. But the sad news is I haven't even started most of that in terms of communicating with the right people. So it's going to be a lot of work going into February, going into March. But it's all good. I mean, everything, I'm so grateful to be able to be in a situation where it's so easy to contact so many different people in so many different places with different, you know, uh, resources. 
And it's just like a click of a button. I've said that before, but it's the truth. So with these other releases, especially going forward into 2021, 2022, I want to do even more of that and learn how to better release my records in a way that, that increases the reach even more so. What would you say was unique about this particular project for you um, compared to some other creative goals that you have set in the past, for instance? Well, I would say this is the first time it was really concrete. I mean, I can always tell myself, like, I have this goal, like, I have to keep up with my release schedule, and I have to keep up with everything else going on. Um, but that's all kind of just like a mental note. And this, this was like me sitting down and saying, no, but I have to have seven songs done before the year starts, the new year starts. So we have to have that, keep that in mind and, and create openly with this project i was like we have to experiment way more and we have to try anything i say we but it's really me but i i have to try to do anything i can so then when i work with you know my team and different people it just makes more sense that way um to be able to say well this is a new idea that you can maybe do something different with this and it's crazy um from a marketing perspective it's great because it's like you never know which song is going to be like the big one the big one that everybody listens to. Mm -hmm. So I think it's so much more important to experiment than I realized. I mean, I think it's important to stay true to yourself and stay too, true to your sound and what you want to do for, or what you want to accomplish in your own genre. But experimentation is key with it. Sure. I, I, I truly, uh, well, I, I should say I disagree with the people who say, you know, you should try to sound like whatever the current trend is. Right. I feel about this up, but you, you have to, do something that's unique that still sounds good to you based on you know your years of of, of experience referencing sampling remixing whatever mm -hmm. and so yeah so for this this project for the first time had me experimenting more than ever in terms of trying new things that i, I typically wouldn't do especially arrangement wise sound design wise even some of my mixes have changed slightly because of this mm -hmm. um and so i'm grateful for that i'm happy that i had an opportunity to think uh, more openly to it as opposed to the ideas will come to me and that's when I'll interact with them. This was more so I'm just going to mess with the synth. I'm going to mess with a certain plugin, a certain sound, and then something will come of it. Yeah. Yeah. Those are awesome reflections on that and, uh, and cool to hear, you know, what was unique about this for you and, and interesting to hear you say that it was super defined compared to some other goals per se. It's interesting to hear that this was crystallized maybe a little bit further as far as having to articulate it and having to set a very specific set of songs in a particular time frame. How did the project and what ways did the project go the way that you thought it would? And conversely, of course, then like, you know, what, how is the project now that you've arrived here? Yeah. Ways that it turned out how you thought, ways that you didn't turn out how you thought. Yeah. Uh, like I started off, I mean, it was the idea that as soon as I sketched something down that that was like the final product and I just had to work towards finishing that. But in reality, it was revision one out of two, three, four, who knows. And realizing that I can still have the basic blueprint of a track and have it still sound like that original style and that original song, but I can shift things around more than I, I knew before. So that was a surprise. Things that didn't surprise me, I should say, uh, was how much time I guess it, it took in terms of how, how many hours a week I was dedicating to this and how often I was like checking back and, and going through each project and trying to keep track of, of how progressed it sounds or it sounded to me. What I determined is halfway through is really like 
you know, 30% or it's uh, 20% of, of the entire completion of the song. Oh, um, fascinating. Right. So it's usually I underestimate it and it's just a, it's a, a constant where I usually underestimate how long something is going to take. And it always takes a little bit longer than I expected. Um, so I don't know if that was to be expected, but it just always happens. And so I thought naturally it would happen with this. I mean, in my head, honestly, I thought maybe even a month before uh, the end of the year, I could have everything done. I could have everything ready. But in reality, it was like right up until the deadline. You know, I'm curious to kind of come back to the human element of this and just just hear a little bit about your what these songs mean to you. I will say I'm fusing uh, a lot of different worlds that I'm uh, influenced by together into one song, into one concrete example. Mm -hmm. And so I really want to continue this trend of, again, I don't want to say reinventing a genre or adding a new genre, but making sure that my music is unique. Mm -hmm. And going forward, if I'm looking at the far future, five, 10 years, I just want to bring this, this new electronic sound to, like I said, the mainstream and like pop. But I would love to work with someone like, I mean, let's say Lady Gaga. She's huge, but mm -hmm. have her do a complete house record and, and make, make the two worlds kind of combine in a way that's organic and makes sense. Yeah. But to sit down and, and uh, collectively see what I've been doing for the last five months and, and working and building on that is really, really cool. So at the time of releasing this podcast, it's been about seven months since that last interview with James. And I did email him just to check in and he gave us an update on what he's doing now. Most projects from these interviews are being withheld for a future EP or shared with someone for collaboration. He says, I'm so excited to start releasing more of them soon. In general, I'm continuing to produce more new music, playing live shows at places like Larimer Lounge and The Black Box, and looking to expand to touring other states soon. So he's continuing to do great stuff, and it was a pleasure to connect with him through all of this. Check out James's music and follow his story at jamesgreb.com and on social media at jamesgreb. 